Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a full hour with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor. He's here in studio ready to take your questions with uh, complete answers. And if you're not satisfied, you'll get a full refund. That's the plan, Mark. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to cut my wages by 80% too. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I haven't even set up the refund table. That's how confident I am in you. Oh, well, we'll see it happens. Yeah. All right. So let me know what your questions are. If you've got a tough question, uh, now's the time to send it over. Send it via text, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. If you like the old-fashioned email, you can uh, email me uh, directly, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. In Galatians, Mark, chapter 2, verse 4, mm-hmm. talks about this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel Gal- Galatians 2.4? Didn't I say that? There we go. Oh yeah, here we go. I okay. got you. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, these false believers, who are these false believers and how do they infiltrate the ranks? Yeah, this is... Um... Uh, the name that uh, we label them with is Judaizers. And you can hear the word Judaism in there, sure. the, the Jewish faith. Yep. you got to keep that clear. People are Jewish. That's an ethnic group. And then Judaism is their religion. Okay, so these people were Judaizers, and we get a pretty good look at them back in the book of Acts. In fact, it was the reason for the first church council to meet. In Jerusalem, there are a whole bunch of these church council meetings uh, after the New Testament times, but this one took place in Jerusalem to settle a question. And uh, I'm just going to read it. Acts 15.1, Luke says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then we find out more about who they are in verse 5. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and direct them to observe the law of Moses. And so this was an ethnic issue that was blown wide open. Interesting. When the church first started, it was all Jewish. In, in Jerusalem there on the day of Pentecost, these Jews had come in from all over the place and got saved like crazy. But then... My shattered nerves, Gladys, the Samaritans are brought in in uh, Acts 7 and 8. Uh, the hated half-breeds, terrible yeah. ethnic racial hatred there between Jews and Samaritans. And then it was even worse in Acts 10 when Peter is led to the home of Cornelius. And good heavens again, again Gladys, these Cornelius and his whole household come to faith. The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and they're part of the church. Oh, my gosh. For these... For these Jews, this was nothing short of scandalous because the only hope these Gentiles had had before Christ was they had to identify with the God of Israel, uh, become proselytes, we, we call them, and God-fearers. But now uh, they're coming to faith, and especially Paul on his first missions trip, 
Acts 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. He's leading these Gentiles to faith by the bucket load. And there's just a whole bunch of them in Antioch and Syria as well. And so the church has got to face this issue. They're in transition from Old Testament times to New Testament times. And so there's some of them that are just dragging behind here and saying, wait a minute, uh, we had to be circumcised to be brought into the covenant with Abraham, and then we follow the law as Jews. And so these Gentiles, they're going to have to do that too. But the church council decided against that. I love this because all of the apostles uh, gathered with the elders of the church in Jerusalem, and there was much debate. And then I love it where uh, Luke is just so uh, vivid the way he uh, he describes things. And he it says in Acts fifteen seven. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's talking about Cornelius there. Mm-hmm. He okay. was the one that proclaimed that. He said, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, Jew or Gentile, cleansing their hearts by faith. And now, don't you love this? Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Is that great or what? Love P- it. Peter's saying mm-hmm. to these Jews, uh, since when were any of you to be able to be justified by the law <laughs> and keep mm-hmm. the law perfectly? Mm-hmm. So you haven't been able to bear that burden. Why are you going to put that on the Gentiles? But he says, but we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. And boy, you know, give Peter a, a round of applause for that. That's yeah. just fantastic. fantastic. But see, these Judaizers had also penetrated the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a region, Bill, in um, uh, present-day Turkey. It's not that far from Israel and the Promised Land, but it's it's over in Gentile territory. Mm-hmm. And Paul, on his first missions trip, went through there and planted these churches, mostly Gentiles. And so the the these Judaizers evidently were following behind Paul and sowing these seeds about you got to keep the law. You got to be circumcised to be saved, and uh, I told you before the program, uh, Paul is extraordinarily angry with this <laughs> happening. He mm-hmm. doesn't have anything good to say about yeah. these Judaizers. He wishes something to happen in those Judaizers that I can't say over the air. Okay, yeah. it was very blunt what he says, and he's really given these uh, Gentile believers in Galatia the business for even listening to these guys. He he sounds like an upset father. I love it, you know. And, and a couple of these passages are really good. How would you like to hear Paul talk to you like this in a letter? You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? And does this sound like your dad is what or what? <laughs> this is the only thing I wanted to find out from you. Usually when your dad said he wants to know a whole lot more, but you know you're in serious trouble when he talks like that. And he says, I want to know from you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer... By hearing with faith. Yeah, that's behind the woodshed, isn't it? It is. He's given them a whooping here, but they needed it, but he still loves them. And he's laying down his life. At the end of the letter, he says, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I have bled for you. So who loves you, Galatians? I'm not telling you something wrong here. Don't listen to these Judaizers. I love it. it's, It's one of the... 
I don't know, most emotional letters that Paul writes. Uh, Again, it sounds like your dad. In this letter, if you read it in the original language, there's times where Paul just stops in the middle of a sentence and just goes off with something else. Did your dad ever get that mad? (laughs) Mine did. Where he's going, what do you think you're doing, son? I can't... Uh, tell me uh, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they're so angry they can't yeah. even. They, they can't don't string s- their thought together. They don't sound yeah. coherent. You right. know? <laughs> and, so, and Paul right. is kind of like that in here. Yeah. And he really is irritated yeah. with them. He sees these are the stakes of the gospel here. If you make the law part of the gospel, it's no gospel at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has Mark the dad done that before? Um, no comment. <laughs> I may have children listening to this. And so. <laughs> I'll call Dawson myself. Yeah, the, the kids just hate it when I bring them up in class or yeah. on the air or something yeah. like that. I got it. Yeah, Their got friends it. are always poking at them. Yeah, your dad was talking about you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and give it five, seven years, the grandkids right. are going to get the same thing. Oh, exactly. Hmm. How are the grandkids, by the way? Oh, they're just out of control fun. Yeah, I know. My son made the greatest move of all time two weeks ago. They got a puppy. And uh-huh. so you got a five-year-old, three-year-old, one-year-old boys with a, a puppy. puppy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. It is just anarchy. Yeah. Sounds that way. But they're having a great time. I bet. All right. Let's jump to, um, I think, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. He got okay. into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a yep. furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to go drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. My question is, he says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? But does Jesus ever address their fears directly? Because if all we ever hear is, why are you afraid? I don't Mm -hmm. know if I feel satisfied, because if my fears are real to me, Maybe I want some processing of these fears. Yeah, this uh, passage in Matthew doesn't uh, have a detail in it that Mark has in the passage when he uh, explains this. Uh, They... uh, In in Mark's uh, account of this, I'm over in Mark 4.35. It says, On that day when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake of the Sea of Galilee. And then the storm cups, and he says, you have little faith, you know, right. much believe. Well, it's more basic than you think, Bill, because what did he say? He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. He did not say, let's go out in the middle of the lake and drown. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right. So, so That's perfect. They don't, they don't believe him even for the incidental stuff. And yeah. so that's Great what's point. coming here. But, you know, as far as fears are concerned, this is a twitchy thing because we are told to bring our fears to to God. He is the ultimate consoler. And uh, Jesus made this clear uh, just before he went to the cross. It's one of my favorite things that he says. People have this memorized over in John 16. It's the upper room discourse. And uh, Jesus has told them that he's leaving and mm-hmm. they're not happy about that at all. And uh, they, uh, they're, they're worried. They're anxious about it. But I love the way he ends this before he prays in John 16, 33. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so I like to say to my students, Bill, you know, it's okay to be afraid. You're going to be afraid. And you just can't say, stop being afraid. Right. But when you do face those fears and anxieties, you need to step back and remember what you know. And what you do know is he has overcome the world, Peter 
awesome reassurance in First Peter uh, when he says that cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. God is right there with us. And so it's really helpful. I don't care what kind of an emotional thing you're going through. If it's anger, if it's fear, it, it, whatever it is, it's great to step back and remember what you know. Because f- feelings are all over the place. It's like being on the, the water with Jesus, you know, with the storm going on. You, the, your emotions are all over the place. And uh, the, the grounding that the truth gives mm-hmm. uh, is, is the solution there. So it might not immediately quell those fears. You still may have to deal with it, and it may came, come back at you. And so you may have to deal with it again, those fears about things, the, the future. We've had a year and a half of fears, you know, in the yeah. world around us with everything going on. But step back. Remember what you know. Yeah. Remember God's promises. They're they're right there for us. And then you just say, I'm still afraid, Lord, but I'm still trusting you that this is true. Yeah. You're going to take care of me. I wish he would have said, do you really think this boat is going to go down? The Son of God is on it. I know it. I mean, I'm, I, this is not the way, the way I'm going to die. <laughs> right. He's right. out on this lake. Yeah. And so I, I just think, too, it shows us humanity. Jesus just must have been exhausted. These fishermen right. used to being on the Sea of Galilee are afraid for their lives. Yeah. It must have been a whopper of a storm. It must have been a whopper. And yeah. I never understood how he could have been asleep. I mean, you get a little bump of turbulence on a plane, and you're just wide awake. You're tired enough. I think you go right out, don't you? Okay, yeah, good point. Yeah. All right, Dr. Mark Musk is my guest for the full hour, which means you can send your questions over, and many of you are, so I appreciate that. 877-933-2484. Let me ask him your questions. Again, 877-933-2484. This one, don't you, Mark? This Man. song. This is like your theme song. It's a beauty. I love it. All right, let's get back to the business at hand. We've got questions. Uh, let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. I'm with Dr. Mark Muska. My wingman, Terry, says this to question for Dr. Mark concerning Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Even mm-hmm. though the text doesn't directly state it, her circumstances mm-hmm. show her to be a shunned member of her society. Plus, with the oppression females faced in the first century, why did everyone believe her when she rushed back and encouraged everyone to come see the Messiah? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, it just doesn't tell us. Okay. The, the closest it gets is is in John four thirty nine, where it says... From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. And so that's about as far as it goes. It probably, you know, you can put this together and try to figure out the scene. 
it probably got people at least to be curious and then to go and maybe listen to them for a while. And then it just kind of started to roll and more people were being drawn. And here we go. You know, that uh, a very, very good reception that yeah. he has here. Remember, they're coming out to him and he says to the disciples, look at the fields are white for the harvest here. Here come the people mm-hmm. that... Uh, some of you will proclaim and some of you will reap, but we rejoice together, the sowers and the reapers, over people who come to faith in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So when God's at work, I mean, we we can't we can't make anything. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's all up to His pleasure, what He chooses right. to do. It, and how he chooses to do it. Exactly. And I think of Jonah. He goes into Nineveh and gives a lame five-word sermon, and everyone comes mm-hmm. to faith. Yeah. I mean, that. how does that make sense? Well, they at least repented, you know, that they, yeah. they were scared. Maybe uh, he had some credibility being in the belly of a fish like that. It, some people think that it might have even bleached him. <laughs> you know, some good fish stomach acid, yeah. and yeah. so he might have looked significant there. But, you know, back to this woman, that God opens hearts, we're responsible to faithfully proclaim and then to lovingly explain and answer questions. And then God works on the heart. Yeah. And he's got a great sense of humor to make that clear to us because we can give a message Billy Graham would be proud of and the person still goes, "Mm mm-mm. And then you barely share something and somebody's crying and falling on their knees and repenting and the whole deal. So it's not us. Yeah. But right. that, you know, we, we've just been talking about that in our family. But that, you know, we have to be patient with that because you have people you care about and you love and you share the message with them and it's just right over the top. They just don't get it and they don't see it. And you're, you're wondering, what's it going to take? Well, it's going to take God to open their eyes. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, here's a question. Please ask Mark, what day does the Bible say is the Sabbath, Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, it's a, a technically speed, the King Shabbat or Sabbath is from sundown on Friday night until sundown on Saturday night. And so uh, you go to Israel today, and that's uh, observed uh, more in Jerusalem than Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is kind of a secular city. It's more European, but uh, Jerusalem, pretty strict. And so most of the shops start closing down at 2, 3, 4 in the afternoon on Friday as they're preparing for Shabbat. And then uh, things start to open up on Saturday about dinner time. And then usually Saturday night is a time where it's uh, fun and uh, carrying on. And then, of course, the work week starts on Sunday. So, yeah, Sabbath, 24-hour period there, sundown to sundown. Mm-hmm. Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. Mm-hmm. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Yep. All right, that is the verse. Mm-hmm. And now I just got to find the question. Good luck. I uh, remember it was about, I thought that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Right, right. That's it. Hmm? That's exactly it. You're you're very helpful today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a common question that, that and it can be a misconception if you're not careful, Bill. Uh, this is why uh, as a theologian, I like to promote theology because when th- theology is a fancy word for Christian teaching and that we try to get Christians teaching out there, but one of the cardinal rules of 
Christian teaching is you can't just pick and choose and cherry pick verses for your teaching. You've got to take everything into consideration. So here, this it makes it quite clear that uh, this uh, God is, uh, he takes no pleasure in wickedness. Uh, no evil dwells in him. The, uh, the boastful will not stand before you. You hate all who do iniquity. So you got that on one side, and then you got good old John 3.16 on the other side. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. So you got to do justice to that. And I don't think those two contradict each other. It's just there's more of a nuance there than we like to recognize sometimes. And one of the biggest mistakes we make with Christian teaching is we'll emphasize something over on this side of the teeter-totter without realizing there's something else there that's that's uh, uh, complementing it. And you have to you have to have both of them going on. You can't have either or. That's the way arguments get going, divides take place when they teach one thing on one side and just kind of ignore the passages that say something different. And so this, to understand this, uh, the way I like to explain it, Bill, is that God hates sin. It is completely contrary to his very nature. I mean, for our listeners and for you, you know, think of the things that get under your skin the worst, that they they contradict everything that is of core importance to you. So for somebody, some guy might have six daughters. And so the idea of someone being a child molester of little girls, you know, that just is so hateful to the person. There's a visceral, visceral response as well as an intellectual one. And that's that helps us understand a little bit what's going on with all sin with God and evil. It is so hateful to him because it's contrary to his very nature and the uh, the the God who he is. And so I like to say, and I like this, the way this is put in Psalm 5, that God is not going to tolerate sin and evil. He will deal with it and he will do it decisively. Thank God today is not that day, and we still have hope of repenting and casting ourselves on the gospel and trusting Jesus to forgive our sins, because there will be a day of reckoning. Sometimes uh, one theologian talked about how God is allergic to sin. I don't like that, because it sounds like sin has some kind of power over God. Mm -hmm. But the truth of it is that God's allergic to sin in the sense that he will not tolerate it in his presence he will deal with it, but thank God he just doesn't do it immediately. Aren't you glad God isn't impulsive? Oh, oh man, you know, just kabang, you do something wrong and there's the lightning bolt. You know, we would have all been toasted a long time ago. He is patient with us. He's long-suffering. So, mm-hmm. All right, we've got uh, another full half hour with Dr. Mark Muska, and some great questions have come in with plenty more still to come in. All you have to do is grab your smartphone or your computer and type out your question and text it over to 877-933-2484. You can, of course, remain anonymous if you like, but I bet you've got a question you've been wondering what the answer is. Now is the time to let us know what the question is, and we'll get you your answer 877-933-2484.
I sure like this time with my friend, Dr. Mark Mosca, and we are asking the professor all kinds of questions, and you're asking great questions, and I'd love to get more of them. 877-933-2484. For the next five minutes, you can get a two-for-one. You can ask two questions for the price of one. Whoa. So, I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds like... I don't either. It creates a sense of urgency. Oh, I have to ask now. I can ask two questions. So I think that's kind of kind of a... Incentive. All right, Mark, when Jesus comes back, it says the dead in Christ will rise. Mm -hmm. Is that our bodies? Is it our souls already with him? Yep. Okay. Yes and yes. (laughs) That uh, this, the the Bible doesn't give us a lot of really detailed stuff about this, Bill, but sometimes we talk about this for humans, when we talk about human existence, that this is the intermediate state of existence for humans. Normally, we get born, and we're physical, and we have a soul and and an immaterial part of us as well, mind, soul, heart, whatever you want to call it. When we die physically, our body dies and decomposes, Mm -hmm. but who we are lives on, our soul or our spirit. That's the beginning of that intermediate state of existence where Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this happens immediately when... We die physically. We go to be with the Lord. But we're not physical. Our bodies have decomposed. Then, when the day comes, First Thessalonians 4, when the trumpet sounds, when the archangel shouts, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we will be caught up with them to meet Christ in the clouds. That's when we receive our resurrected bodies. And that's important to distinguish because I remember in John Uh, chapter 11, that uh, uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but technically speaking, we'd say he was resuscitated. Mm -hmm. He had been dead for three days, and Jesus brought him back to life, but still with the same old body that they put in the grave. The resurrection is with a new, incorruptible body. And uh, for listeners that really want to see that unpacked, read the last half of 1 Corinthians 15, because it talks about how our bodies are now going to be incorruptible. They won't age. We won't get tummies. We won't need glasses. We're going to have these perfect, incorruptible bodies throughout all eternity. And that will be our final state of existence. The intermediate state ends with the resurrection, and then we're both physical and immaterial as well Mm -hmm. uh, in the new heavens and the new earth to be with Christ and the Father forever. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Lazarus. So Mm -hmm. in the tomb for four days... He stinketh. I know he stinketh stinketh much. James Seth. He stinketh much. But where where did he go for those four days? Where was Uh, his soul? uh, I'll come back to this. We've talked about this before. In the mindset of these people in the ancient world, he went to the netherworld. He went to the place of the dead. Okay. 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 And then he was retrieved. Can't you just hear that? You know, Lazarus, get back up here. Although I remember one of my teachers said it so cool. When Jesus turns to the tomb, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And my teacher said, wouldn't it have been something if Jesus would have just said, come forth, and he would have emptied that graveyard. Totally, yeah. Not yeah. just Lazarus, you know, he just specified it for him. Yeah. So he was in this place of the dead, the nether world, and he was brought back uh, to uh, to life. But then Lazarus died again. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't this resurrection that right, Paul right. talks about in First Corinthians 15. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of people that have 
experiences of crossing over to one mm-hmm. side or the other. Extremely popular. It is very popular, and I don't see any biblical basis for it. Yeah, it, it, you know, there, it, it's just something that we just get little peaks at in the Scripture, but it's really not explained to us very well. Uh, where do you uh, see a peak, Mark? Well, honestly, this is where uh, uh, in the Old Testament, for example, remember we've talked about this before, where Saul needs guidance on whether he's going to fight the Philistines or not. So he has this medium, the witch of Endor, call True. up uh, Samuel from the grave. And right. so you just get these stories and it's kind of wacky and it's not explained completely. And you're going, wait, 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 hey, tell us more about that. I, we're, we're curious, but the Bible doesn't. It just keeps going. So, uh, the, but... Uh, Honestly, Bill, we can connect this with a lot of folklore that's out there about humans being ghosts after they die. Mm-hmm. Because a ghost is what? It is this person, but non-material, mm-hmm. a spirit. And that's really pretty close to uh, how it's described for us after we die physically. I don't think that means, though, that we go and scare the ever-living daylights out of our relatives by walking down the hallway at midnight with chains, you know, and that, <laughs> uh, to do that. The, 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 this whole idea of haunting and that, that's where folklore takes over. Mm-hmm. But there is a starting point there to talk about immaterial humans, that we are in this immaterial state of existence until the resurrection. Mm-hmm. In the fifth chapter of Mark... I love this story of uh, Jairus' daughter. Yeah, and she's another one. I, and I love this. And I'm wondering, because Jesus only tells the truth, and he arrives at the house late. The wailers are out crying, and he says, Why all the confusion? Why are you crying? The child is not dead. She is only sleeping. They started making fun of him. Yep. I'm guessing, Mark, uh, I'd love your take on this, that he had already healed her, and at the time he said that, she was already healed and was, in fact, just sleeping. Yeah, that's possible. That That's one of the possibilities with this. Remember, Jesus uses this euphemism with Lazarus, too, though, that he says that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And when the disciples say, well, then, you know, why do we have to rush to see him? He'll wake up again if he's asleep, and Jesus has to tell him, no, he's dead. And so that's a euphemism used by Paul as well in his letters, that to fall asleep is what happens to a believer when they die physically. Uh, The writers don't like to use the word that he perished or he died because that gets the sense that then it's over with and you're separated from God and the whole shmeel. Remember how Jesus promises the one who believes in me even though he die, will still live, you know. So mm-hmm. this euphemism of he fell asleep or she fell asleep uh, could be that as well. So you can take that both directions. They're both possible. Okay. That he's maybe done this already. Okay, and cool. It's, it's fun. Uh, don't you hope that there's reruns in heaven? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Seriously. I Thrilling. Mean, it would just keep me occupied for I a know. long time. I know. Front row. I will Start at the beginning, God. You know, right. Genesis exactly. 1. Let's see, you know. Yeah, well, no, I hope we get that. this happened. Yeah. All right, this listener has got a meeting in 15 minutes, so we've got to get her oh. question answered. All right. Okay. Um, how do you present discipleship when giving the gospel? A discipleship, that is a, a really good question, and not all Christians and evangelists are going to agree about that. Because disciple, the word disciple means you are a student, or you're a learner, or you're a follower. And it carries with it the idea of commitment there, that you are committed. So Jesus' disciples, they weren't just 
here one day, gone the, the others. They followed him. They were with him, and they were learning from him. And so the Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us that, tells the, the apostles to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't just say convert them. It says make disciples, make followers out of them. But just how much of that comes into the introduction we give non-Christians to the gospel uh, do they uh, the specifically uh, build the debate is over just what do people have to depend on from God in order to be saved? Do they have to depend on Jesus' death to forgive their sins so that they can have peace with God? That's one way to look at it. Or do they have to depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and uh, peace with God and commit themselves to follow Jesus to become his follower? And I'm not going to settle that for you this afternoon. Okay. That's a lively debate to have, and we have to respect that there's some some uh, tension there, some issues in how we resolve that. Uh, we have to be careful when it when we talk about following Jesus uh, after we have made a profession of faith. Is that a condition of salvation? If we don't show enough change in our lives, should we be questioning whether we really have put our faith in the gospel or not, boy, oh boy, that can get really rough for people with a sensitive conscience and they get down on themselves. They yeah, might right. be asking Jesus to be their savior every two I weeks for, for 10 years, you know, know, because they feel like, boy, you know, I just must not be a Christian. I'm still struggling with sin, especially when there's temptations that are chronic. Somebody just has a foul mouth and they just struggle and they've been a Christian for a while and they still bleepity bleep, you know, and something right. goes wrong in the car. And so, oh, man, I just must not even belong to Jesus. I, here it is again, the 4,375th time I've done that since I put my faith in the gospel. Uh, that, so there's this, there's this uh, danger of good, sensitive conscience people constantly questioning whether they're really saved or not. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end that you want to avoid is the person that is just kind of, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is... Uh, uh, my savior and I'm going to go to heaven now. And so that's my get out of jail free card. And so let's party hardy, man. I can do whatever I want yeah. and just go and live however I want. Uh, that uh, Both those extremes, we have to find a middle place in there mm-hmm. where we're patient enough with ourselves and the work of God in our lives. It's not going to happen overnight that we're going to change. But yet we do see encouraging signs of change. And I know people can see this if they just give themselves a break for a couple of minutes and aren't down on their own case, but they uh, they realize, you know what, uh, I used to just mouth off to my mom when we'd get together for the holidays, and now it actually takes a half hour before I mouth off, before it would be <laughs> first five minutes, you know, uh-huh. and it's still kind of discouraging because I still lip off and I shouldn't because yeah. I love her and she's brought me into the world and everything, but hey... 30 minutes instead of five this time. Right. Good for you. Something's going on, you know, (laughs) something good. So you see that progress, but you have to also be patient with Mm -hmm. yourself. We were talking about uh, Sabbath. uh, Carol wants to know, when did Sunday worship start? That is a really good question, too. I agree. Uh, That it appears as though it was pretty early on with the apostles, and it may be it was a way to commemorate the resurrection of Christ. I love that. Because remember, he was raised on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Sunday. And so uh, we get, again, we get hints of this kind of a thing. Uh, Right near the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is instructing the Corinthian church to take an offering for the church in Jerusalem. 
uh, that they're suffering there, and this is great to bring the church together, to have this Gentile church in Corinth give an offering to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. But uh, I like this. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, he says, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so no collections be made when I come. But he says, on the first day of every week. And so it sounds like that may be the time where they are gathering for worship and they're taking collections as part of their worship time together. So you get that kind of help to see that this is uh, uh, became a, a, a pattern in the church pretty early on. There are still some um, uh, traditions in Christianity that uh, observe the Sabbath day uh, as that sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Maybe the most uh, obvious one of these is the Seventh-day Adventists. And so uh, if you go by a Seventh-day Adventist church building, it's going to be deserted on Sunday. But Saturday, they're going to have their uh, services there. Mm-hmm. Take a little break. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. You can let me know what your question is for him, maybe even a comment, or you'd like something clarified that you've already heard. I'm open to any one of those three or anything you'd like to send over. 877-933-2484 is the text line. I would love to hear from you. Dr. Mark Musk is our guest for the hour, which is rapidly running out. We've got only 12 minutes left, Mark, and still some great questions Whoa, coming yeah. in. Uh, let's talk about John 6.29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple he's and him's in there. It's, there you believe in Jesus whom God has sent. It's a way to get yes. the pronouns out of there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. This is a pretty simple statement. Does this... Is this if you believe in him, and if we think of that Greek word pistis or pistuio, that is the work that needs to be done for salvation. Yep. Believe him. And what does that mean? It's the most sloppy, misunderstood word in Christian terminology to have faith or believe. It means to trust, it means to depend, it means to have confidence. So that means when Jesus says, through my death, you are forgiven, and you have peace with God. If you put your faith in Jesus, that means you're depending on him being that being true. Mm-hmm. I like to say it in the negative. That means that if Jesus' death doesn't forgive your sin, give you peace with God and eternal life, you're toast. Okay. You have no hope, no amount of good works, mm-hmm. no amount of having a brother who's a priest, 
No amount of missionary work, <laughs> nothing yeah. counts for beans. All right. Uh, here's a question. Why was Moses punished for striking the rock instead of speaking to it? Well, that's, the question is, was the rock Jesus? Yeah, it, it says that later. But the simple answer to that is because God told him to speak to the rock. Hmm. And he, earlier, God had told him to strike the rock, and then the water came out. Right. And this time he tells him, speak to the rock, and he whacks the rock. <laughs> and yeah. God's, you know, you got you to gotta obey. When God tells you to do something, you do it just like he tells you. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, you can go on with this throughout the whole Old Testament, Bill. Those prophets that God had, they had to do and say exactly what God told them to do and say. Otherwise, he got rid of them. Wow. He removed them. They yeah. were his mouthpiece. Yeah. That was his means of communicating with these people, mm-hmm. the main means at least, not the only means. So Moses, you know, this, uh, it would have been nice, and he got to see the promised land, but he didn't get to go in. Yeah. All right, uh, Mark, will we be at a certain age for our resurrected bodies, regardless of how old we were when we died? Yeah, man, you know, you and me, are we going to have hair? Oh, da- absolutely. Are you, you kidding think? me? Oh, yeah. I don't I'm know, though. My, I'm going to have a mullet. I'll do it. I'll do then, it all. Do we have to have haircuts again? Though? I don't know. You know? I, don't I mean, know. I kind of like this. This is no, low maintenance, you know? <laughs> my wife cuts my hair. She only charges me 50%, you know, because yeah, there's nice. ha- only half of it up there, so... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, she doesn't charge me anything, I, I, and she's probably listening. Sorry, dear. Sorry. I shouldn't have said that. All right, but, Karen. Uh, you do a nice job. It's a, it's a really fun question to think about. What are we, what's the nature of our resurrected bodies going to be? 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear they're incorruptible. No disease, nobody being injured, nobody limping around with, uh, with uh, crutches. Uh, they're, they're perfect bodies. Uh, how old are we? You pay your money, you take your choice. I okay. don't think we're going to be babies. I don't think we're going to be young children. Okay. I don't think we're going to be past the age where in this life we started to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. So uh, we kid around with hair, but you know, gaining weight, losing muscle tone, all that kind of thing that comes with aging, I don't think that's going to be part of the resurrected body. Uh, my favorite on this is C.S. Lewis. I love the way he treats this in his Space Trilogy. I think we might have talked about this before. C.S. Lewis wrote three novels that were definitely adult. They're not children's, and they're about uh, his hero, Ransom, going through space. In one of the books, he's on Mars. Another one, he's in Venus. But he goes to this place where he becomes immortal. He has an incorruptible body. And I love the way Lewis describes it in the book because he says that you looked at Ransom and he was youthful and he looked like a young man, but yet he had a full beard and he was obviously much older than that. And then Lewis says something along the lines of saying, and so when you looked at him, you realized you really couldn't assign an age to him at all. And I thought, yeah. That's cool. That's a pretty good guess, yeah. I think, of this, yeah. what it's going to be. So I like that. All right, here's a little uh, kudos from you, Mark, all right? Susan wrote in and said, um, this is Susan, Wayne Benedict's daughter. Listen, hey. Dad was Dr. Mark's Greek teacher. He'd be so proud of him. Yeah. That's sweet. In fact, I had the privilege of uh, speaking and overseeing his funeral a few oh, years wow. back. Wow. And uh, Wayne was faithful. And uh, he died uh, looking forward to Jesus' return right to his very last day. And uh, he, he was here at Northwestern for a long time. 
a good and faithful servant here. So yeah. I, I have lots of really good memories. Of I think you. you just warmed Susan's heart. Maybe. Hope yeah, so. I'm sure you did. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, question for Dr. Muska. Believers go to heaven when they die and non-believers go to hell. What happens mm-hmm. to the people who just never had a chance to hear the gospel? Where do the, their souls go? Yeah, that, Are they condemned to hell for not believing or do they get a free pass to heaven? Yeah, that's that's one that's really rough oh, yeah. because there's so many people that never even hear the name Jesus, more or less the gospel. And what are we supposed to do with that? There's some teaching in the scripture and maybe the passage that people start with that's very, uh, it's very rough if it means exactly what Paul seems to be saying. It's in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about well, in Romans 1 through 3.20, Paul is uh, explaining the gospel, and he starts out in Romans 1 through 3 by explaining how every human being is under condemnation because of sin, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you lived, when you lived, how you lived, that every one of us is under the curse of sin because we have sinned ourselves. And in chapter 1, he talks about the person who sees God through what has been made and he says, these people, I'm just going to read it. I don't like ending like this if this is the last thing we're going to no, do No, we today. have four more minutes. Uh, but uh, in verse 18 of Romans 1, Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So people can't say that they didn't know God. They know him. It's evident, all right? And then he says, why, verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. There's not a person that can say, I never saw God. Take a look. Look around you. At what he has made, you see his invisible attributes and divine nature, so they are without excuse. Nobody can come before God pockets out and say, I never knew you were there. You know, it just doesn't work. And then in verse 23, he says, well, verse 22, he says, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. So the two things we do as humans, and this is categorical, it looks like, doesn't matter where doesn't matter when, doesn't matter who. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and we exchange the truth about the incorruptible God for idols. So we all do this. Paul builds up to this in chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, Therefore, every mouth is closed before God. None of us can make any kind of claim of self-righteousness or self-justification. And that's when the really good news comes then, starting in Romans 3, 21. But God, and then it describes salvation by faith through grace, through Christ. So it's really hard, Bill. And I'm not here to say categorically that those people are lost forever, that never hear about Jesus explicitly through the gospel, but that's the way I have to lean because of what these kind of passages say. It's very grim. I don't take any pleasure in that at all, but we just can't ignore this either, that people will be held accountable for what they see of God in nature, and it doesn't say if they suppress the truth and if they exchange it for a lie. It says that's what we all do. It's not if then, it's yeah, this is us. So... 
nice, happy ending to the show today. That's just <laughs> great. But you know what? I, I shouldn't say that because, you know, for the gospel to really be good news, it has to start out with really, really bad news. And that is we are all slaves to sin. We can't do a blooming thing about it. And we're, we're going to die because of it. we're going to be judged for it. Mm-hmm. But then somebody starts saying Jesus and it's like, what? Jesus? Jesus? What? Say that again. What? Jesus? And they're interested. If you can convince people of their utter corruption and alienation from God, usually they get real interested in Jesus and the yeah. gospel. Yeah. Great uh, great hour, Mark. Yeah. Well, I tried to get a little good news in at the end there. You got a lot of good news. Yeah. Yeah. So Romans 1 isn't exactly the happiest passage around. No, it's not. I like, I like to say to my students sometimes that I nod my hand head, but there's a little tear coming down too to say this is not a happy thing here. But it seems like it's what Paul's teaching us. Yeah. Speaking of teaching, are you teaching summer school? You bet. Online. Having when, a great time. How many hours a day? Well, it's it's online, so okay. it's not oh, it's a, uh, it's okay. asynchronous. Okay. I learned that. See, I'm getting technical. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that means you can go learn it whenever you'd like? Well, I was just grading before I came over here this afternoon. So okay. having a great time with my s- s- students. Cool. Well, always uh, great to see you and be yeah. with you. Um and then when summer school ends for you, I hope you get a chance to spend more time with your grandkids. It would be puppy. awesome. What well, kind of dog gonna, is it? We're going to see. It's a golden doodle. Oh, cute. Chews on everything, pees on the floor everywhere. Boy it's or girl? It's just great. It's a girl. And her name? Her name is Susie Stevie Muska. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's it. It's crazy. No, we're it. going down there this next week. We're going to be down there with them. So. Okay. Well, blessings to you and your family. That wraps up our show for the day. I just want to thank all my guests uh, who really, uh, David Wheaton and uh, uh, Denise Wilson. She was a uh, Great to have her on the program. Meet her and then Dr. Mark Muska. Have a great night, everyone. I can't wait for tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.